the best. It's the Car Chronicle podcast, the first episode of March. It's the only way to start it. The best theme in all of sports, the old school CBS Sports college basketball theme. Mike Rutherford and Dan Sennard back with you talking some Louisville sports. Uh, best time of the year. Dan, is there anything better than those th- that first 10 seconds of the old school CBS college basketball theme? I don't even care that it sounded like my cell phone that I first got in <laughs> high school. That made no difference to me. That Every time I hear any resemblance of the music, literally just chills every time. Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely jacked. I'm ready to go. March is here. Just basketball 24-7. I, I have no idea how that's going to sound on the actual podcast again i got i got a pretty good idea <laughs> we're, we're using like we're using yes. skype on my like five-year-old laptop and you know, I, I can't implement any audio so it's probably gonna sound like some sort of like alien just concert blasting through everybody's speakers it's gonna go off the rails five seconds in but there was it's the only way you can start it it's the first time we've done the pod uh since we got to march our apologies for not being on. It's it's my fault the last couple of days. We, we couldn't get you the uh, post-Virginia Tech, post-Senior Day podcast any quicker. And the reason is the last 48 hours, I have done almost literally nothing besides write about mid to low major conference tournament basketball. It's uh, it's that time of the year. Um, if you're not aware, I, wrote, I, I do this big, gigantic championship week preview thing every single year. It got to over 9,000 words this year, which was absurd. Um, I don't care if you read it, to be quite frank. If you just click on a couple of the links, because we broke it up this year into, I think, seven individual stories, if you just click a couple of them, like that's all I ask. Just make me feel like not a pathetic loser for doing this every single year. Make it <laughs> somewhat worth my while, the fact it's, that I'm staying up to 3 a.m. And so I, I literally submitted it to my editor at like 3.30 a.m. and was like, I'll be back on at 8, but I, I've got to sleep for at least a couple hours. Is, it, is, there, is there like a point? Where you're like at like three thousand words and like just finishing up like the Patriot League when you're like, what am I doing with my life? Every year, <laughs> not so much like what am I doing with my life because I actually I really do. This is like my favorite thing in the entire world. So I actually I love doing it, but it takes so much longer than I think every single year. Like I sit down, I've done like a little bit of stuff sporadically for the last couple of weeks. Feel like I'm pretty ready to go. And then you do like the first big chunk. You spend four or five hours on Saturday. And I'm like, all right, feeling pretty good about it. And then you're like, holy shit, I still have so much left. And uh, it takes a long time. But uh, again, if you just click on it, I I would greatly appreciate it. The numbers have been pretty good so far. Um, But it's just it's always it's always going to be more effort than you get back. But it's okay. I like doing it. But we're going to talk about Louisville sports. I'm glad to be talking more about the, the the major side of things because it is that's I love the mini tournaments. I love championship week. I love March in every respect. But the big thing, my primary love and Dan's primary love, Louisville Cardinal basketball. So we're going to get into all that good stuff. We'll talk about I guess we'll start off. It's funny when we were previewing the Virginia Tech game on Sunday, the last podcast, one of the things that we mentioned was as fun as senior day is and as, as memorable as it always seems to be, we couldn't really think of any like definitive senior day memories outside of the two bad things that have happened the virginia game the 0.9 second game a couple of years ago and then the south florida game in 2012 we were having a hard time pinpointing like great feel-good senior day memories outside of just guys you know giving the speeches and us winning a lot of games i think we have that moment now like i I think everybody is going to remember 2020 as the keith otto senior night game knocking down the shot from the corner the reaction the fact that it was right there at the end of the game i mean i feel like we have to start there am i wrong no, definitely. And the way the game 
started uh, with just kind of an uneasy feeling. Not that I think anyone thought that we were going to lose the game, but it probably wasn't going the way we thought it would. And to end it the way that we did with with Keith getting that shot in the corner and, you know, probably the best bench reaction we've had in 20 years, just absolutely awesome. I've, I'm really happy for the kid. I'm sure he puts more blood, sweat and tears in practice and than we could even ever imagine. So for him to go out on that stage and do that and to see how happy everyone was for him, um, just, I mean, it, it'll, it'll be a shot that we talk about pretty much every senior day going forward. I'm sure. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I think we're always going to remember that. It was, it was a real positive night before that. And then to see not just the shot go in, but to see the way that everybody react, like everybody. And you'd heard from before the start of the season that he was a super popular guy in the locker room. I think he was super popular at Richmond as well. If you're, if you're not familiar with the backstory, because it is a bizarre one. Usually when you get a, uh, a grad transfer, it's going to be somebody who's going to contribute. And usually when you get a walk-on, it's somebody who's a freshman or maybe transferred in as a sophomore. You rarely get a grad transfer walk-on, but he was close with uh, Quan Four, who'd played with him at Richmond. And I guess Quan spoke glowingly about his season at Louisville last year and told him, if you're really serious about being a coach, come here, learn under Chris Mack, learn under Dino Gaudio and Mike Pagese and Luke Murray, and it's going to be a really good thing for you. So he put out some feelers. They were cool with it. He came here. He's been, he wants to be a coach. He knows he's not, uh, doesn't have a future playing the game. But still, it, it, I'm sure wanted to make a shot at some point in his, his one season at Louisville, had not made a field goal yet this year, had knocked down some free throws, and to get that moment there at the end. And I don't think it's like, I don't think it's overstating to say that this is one of those types of things that can bring an already cohesive team and already close team even closer. Just like, I mean, you saw the way that all of the guys after the game immediately went to social media, not to say like great win, like thank you carnation, but to like share the videos of, of Keith Otto and to share, to, to talk about how great it made them feel and all that stuff. I think you need a couple of these moments at this point in the season just to make sure that everybody's on the same page and everybody's together. Am I going too off the deep end there? Am I going overboard with this thing? I don't think you are. Um, I mean, I don't know if it's going to help us win games going forward, but it, it was refreshing and nice to see how close the team actually is and how much that they all pull for each other. Um, you know, sometimes when you're in the heat of the battle, you, you probably don't notice it as much because guys are, are, you know, on the quarter point, pointing out different things and you're taking instruction from coaches. So you don't really get to see, you know, people go nuts for each other. But yeah, I mean, it. The, my favorite part about it was like, obviously the Keith shot was awesome, but Dave getting that pass out to him, that looked yeah. like, like if you're like in like a five-year-old YMCA league and like it's the last game of the season and the kid hasn't scored yet. And I, I, this isn't a knock on Keith Otto. I'm sure he would like, you know, he's good at basketball but like the kid that hasn't scored all year and like the dad just comes like flying in at the end and like tips the <laughs> ball away from the kids and like gets it to the kid in the corner is like shoot it like that's pretty much what i thought he just like flew in there grabbed the rebound and uh, for the kick out but i thought that was just as cool as the shot but yeah i mean obviously totally. the reaction was was awesome it did kind of remind me if anybody's seen there's a viral video that i think was going around like a year ago where um, a small kid who had uh, some disability there, like th there's a, a bigger kid, like the biggest kid on the floor keeps trying to throw him the ball to get him to make a basket. And there's one kid on the team that just keeps trying to score for himself. Like, like he's like trying to steal the rebound away from the kid that everybody's trying to get a, a basket and keeps missing. 
that was Josh Nickelberry in this situation. Like everybody <laughs> on the floor wants the ball to go to Keith Otto, and Josh is like, "Fuck it, I'm going." Like, like this, <laughs> this is my time. Like, I need to get that point per game average. No, I, I think I, I, I'm going to give Josh a pass. I think he probably wanted to give it to him, and maybe he wasn't as open, and he was like, oh, whatever, time's winding out. I'm just going to shoot it here. But, yeah, I mean, I could definitely see how that comes off. I mean, it was a, like right when I saw him go, I was like, oh, no, Josh, no. And it, like the rebound came down, and David Johnson plays hero. That was awesome. Uh, like underrated reaction, I thought, Malik Williams hopping on one leg on the bench. Yeah. Kind of got lost in the shuffle, but that was great. Yeah, and poor Keith Otto, like, this is like the one of the best senior day moments like ever. And then, of course, like two days later, my guy is one up by our man Snacks for Jackson <laughs> State. I was like, oh, my God. Keith Otto had like the moment of the year. And then I see this viral video of my man Snacks just pulling from way deep. I was like, oh, my God, Snacks. But no, that was that was just as cool. So shout out to Snacks. Snacks is in this game, man, is my new favorite quote. Like, the guy who's like, Snacks is in this game, man. It makes the entire video for me. I, I've probably watched it 50 times. Hey, it's, like, it's an all-timer. It's going in the Internet Hall of Fame. We should also say, recently announced, uh, as we record this Tuesday night, the SWAC has named Snacks as its uh, Conference Player of the Week, which I think is wonderful. Like, <laughs> That's could awesome. Not love um, and his, his, um, the numbers they show on the little graphic that they do every week is, like, three points per game two minutes per game, 50 million social media views, which is, I think, the best way to put it. So shout out to Snack, shout out to Keith Otto. Um, awesome night. I thought it was just – Darius Perry, too, had a, a big-time reaction. For everybody who thought – and I know that um, he had made some posts. He was answering questions on Instagram last week. And, of course, a bunch of the questions from fans were like, are you staying here? Are you going to go somewhere else? And every time it came up, he's like, where else am I going to go? Like, like was speaking glowingly about Louisville – Said he doesn't care about playing time. Said he's he's happy that Ryan McMahon is playing so well and getting more minutes and all that stuff. And you can say that that's lip service and he's putting on a show. But when you see him like back to being dancing on the bench and going nuts for the Keith Otto stuff, like I think he's genuinely, at least for the moment, like okay with his circumstances. I'm sure he was playing. He wishes he was playing more, but he seems to be genuinely enthusiastic about just this team and how far he can potentially take them or how far it could potentially go. Like I thought that was really good to see too. Yeah, he's a guy that. Man, you can. It was hard to get a read on him, but like you said, lately it seems like he, you know, he's loosened up. And not that he wasn't supportive before, but maybe just had a different body language on the bench. But it it makes you want to pull for guys like that that are, you know, 100% bought into the team concept, even though, as you said, he's probably not playing as well as he had hoped at, at, at this stage in the season. But you know, there's still season left to play. We, we've seen it. We know he has ability. And, you know, all it takes is for him to have one good game and that confidence can come back. So I'm hoping that he finds it. But, um, yeah, we'll see what happens down the stretch. Let's talk about, um, I think, maybe the biggest. I know the Keith Otto stuff was great and it was the feel-good moment. And it was kind of, it's going to be the lasting memory of that game. But maybe the biggest overall takeaway was how well Jordan Wara played. Just uh, Chris Mack called it the best overall game that he's played since he's been here. He, I think he took one shot early in the game where I was kind of like, eh, I don't know about that. Outside of that, he took a lot of shots that I thought were really good within the flow of the offense that he had earned. He got some baskets around the rim off of drives. He had an and one, which is something that we don't see enough uh, from him. 
got that outside stroke back a, a little bit and played, I mean, a, a good game defensively. Was really active, had a double-double with 12 minutes to go still in the second half. I mean, this is, if you're looking for your star to be the biggest of stars in March and carry you as far as he can, this is a really encouraging performance to start the last week of the regular season. Yeah, and the best part about it was, we needed him to do that because honestly, in the first half, we looked very stagnant on offense. So not only did he do it from a scoring standpoint, he rebounded the ball well, um, passed the ball well, too. I know he had a couple assists. I know he had that one to Ryan for a three. I know he had the alley-oop to Sam. Those are the two that stick out in my mind. And he played great defense. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's nice to see him have that type of game coming up with what we, you know, got coming down the pipe here but uh if he didn't have that type of game there's a decent chance we would have been in trouble on Sunday so it was nice to see um him kind of take a leadership role there and play well when when needed yeah it was it's a good point I mean he was I feel like this was a game where nobody really played poorly like everybody who got in contributed in their own way especially the seniors which was awesome to see I mean um Ryan McMahon shot the ball really well. Uh, I, I'm so surprised that first three was a two, although it looked like his foot was on the line. That's just not a mistake that he usually makes when he's wide open. But he it felt like he was two of three from three, but it felt like he was three of four. Also got some stuff done inside the arc, which was nice to see and made a really good one-handed pass to David Johnson for a dunk. Fresh Kimball was good. Um, uh, Dwayne Sutton was his usual self. He was really good. Stephen Enoch also almost had a, a double-double. Like it was, And then the, the auto shot there at the end. It was nice to see them all go out, but it was also nice to see guys that you know you're going to be really relying on in these next few weeks have a good game in their final home game. I feel like, I mean, it wasn't the best performance of the entire season, but I walked away feeling like we got what we needed out of just about everybody who saw the floor. Yeah, and I know I sound repetitive, but I, I really think this team is going to go as far as as Dave, David Johnson leads them. I think at halftime he had one rebound and one assist. Um, and he ended up with eight points, four rebounds and six assists, one turnover. I, when he takes it to another level, I just think our team is just a, we're a different team. And we obviously saw it in the Duke game. And it seems like the games that, you know, he's, he's played really well. We've, we've kind of clicked on offense. So um, I, I know that's asking a lot from a freshman, but I just think he's kind of the engine that, that makes our team go. But, as you said, I'm kind of looking at the stats here. You know, Dwayne kind of had his usual stat line, eight points, nine rebounds, pretty quietly. Ryan hit a couple threes. Um, Steve, I, I know he had 11 rebounds, and I'm not knocking Steve. Virginia Tech didn't send anybody to the board, so that can be a, a bit facetious. But um, I eight points, two and nine from the field, and – he, you know, I think Steve is a nice player, but we definitely need Malik back. I, I yeah. just think it, coming up here, it's it's almost imperative that we get him back and playing at the level that he was playing at, even if that's far fetched. We're gonna need that. Yeah, I mentioned him jumping around on one leg after the Keith Auto three, which was a funny, like awesome moment. Also, kind of scary if you're looking for Malik Williams to be back soon because. He had said, I think uh, he said during the, the Chris Mack radio show last Wednesday that if he was able to get back on the practice floor, he was going to play. Like That's just who he is. He's like, if I'm good enough to practice, I'm going to be good enough to play. He hasn't practiced yet. Uh, I don't know if that changed today. I don't think there's been any word on that. But 
that's a little bit concerning, the fact that he's just not moving at all right now. And we're not going to talk too much about Virginia today because that's going to be the focus of the next podcast. And it's, I mean, what a big game that's going to be on Saturday. But with Jay Huff doing what he did to Duke on Saturday, blocking 10 shots, I mean, he's the first player to have 10 blocks in a power conference game since 2012. He almost had a triple-double. I think he was one rebound away. And that's the exact type of player that Malik Williams matches up really well against, and Stephen Enoch doesn't. You've, I, we've got to get him back sooner rather than later. I mean, the, the leadership stuff's great. The being a defensive communicator's great. We just need him out there because he's been playing his best basketball recently. And um, I'm with you. On, Stephen Enoch is, is a fine player. He, I think, is getting a little bit of offensive confidence back, even though he didn't play that well offensively on, on Sunday. But he just is a liability on defense, and he gets so tired so quickly. And, and yeah, I think that's, that's, that's the big thing. No, I agree. I, it's tough to play him a lot of minutes. And, you know, Virginia Tech obviously was so small that we were able to get away with it on Sunday. Um, but coming up in this Virginia game, you know, if Malik can't go, not only are we going to have to have Steve play really well, he's, he's going to have to log a lot of minutes as well, which, you know, might be a little troublesome for him. I did think that the defense was – like fantastic in this game. Like I thought yeah. that I, I liked Chris Mack, the big point that he made after the game in his post game press conference, I thought was the biggest takeaway from this entire thing, which was we've, this has been a team that has been so gifted offensively. And when they're, when they're hitting on all cylinders on offense, they look just lights out. Like they're phenomenal. But sometimes when their offense struggles, they let it affect their play on the other end of the floor. I think we definitely saw that in the Texas Tech game. I think we saw it a little bit in both of the Florida State games. Like guys just got frustrated by these physical big defenses, and then they kind of pouted on the other end of the floor. This was the first time, really, like all season, I think, that we have had a first half where we just weren't scoring. The shots weren't going in. We were getting open looks, but it just wasn't going down. And we didn't let that affect our tenacity on the other end of the floor. Like We defended the absolute hell out of a Virginia Tech team that I know that they're not playing real well right now, but it's still a tough team to defend. They run some good stuff. Mike Young's a good coach. They take a bunch of threes. And if you're not like fully engaged the entire time, they can light you up. You can let a, I mean, we've talked about this before, but a 35% three-point shooter becomes a, a 60% three-point shooter if you leave him wide open. They're that type of team. They have those types of guys. And we didn't let them get those clear looks. Like, like I thought that even though it was tied at halftime, the defense was phenomenal. And my guy, uh, Chris Hatfield on Twitter, he pointed out the fact that for the first time all season, Louisville's had five straight games where they've held their opponent under uh, 0.9 points per possession, which is a big thing. The defense was a little bit shaky at the end of January and beginning of February. The last couple of weeks, I feel like it's actually been pretty good. The one major exception would be when the, you know, the levees broke in, in Florida State, the, the dams flooded. They, we just kind of quit there, and they were getting dunk after dunk after dunk. But I think that was kind of a, a one-off type deal. But the defense, I feel like it's been good enough the, the last few weeks. It's trending in the right direction. We'll put it that way. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I was I saw that same stat as you, and I was surprised at the Florida State game um, that we, we did hold them under that number because it seemed like the second half they did score every possession. But – other than that, you're right. I mean, we have we've played really well. Uh, all I get, God, poor Ryan having to chase Jalen Cohn off all those screens. <laughs> I mean, that looked miserable. That kid was literally running off screen after screen, just trying to get open looks. But I mean, credit to Ryan. He did he did about as as best you could. I know that. Uh, I think Jalen went. I think he had five at five at ten from three, or he wow. hit five at ten from three, but. 
Um, you know, I, I think he more times than not, Ryan pretty much ran him off the three point line when he could, but yeah, it's a, it's, it's a team that shoots threes. And that, to be honest, that's kind of the, what broke our back last year in the tournament was even though, you know, obviously Minnesota was God awful coming into the game. I mean, it was the three pointer that eventually broke us. So, I mean, we're going to need to defend the three down the stretch here and into March. So um, that was probably a good, good learning tool for our guys. My only critique from the night, I don't know if you caught the video, but the um, senior day speeches weren't great. They, they just, uh, at first, Kimball at least tried to inject a little bit of, uh, like, some, just some funny stuff. Like, he tried to, to mix it up a little bit. Everybody else just did the whole, like, what's up, Card Nation? Best fans in the world. Love you guys. Let's go. Like, like I was like, come on, guys. Like, I, I feel like we always hype up the senior day speeches, and guys just don't really want to do it. Like, they don't want to get that into it, um, with rare exception. But it was I was just I was expecting more. I don't know. Yeah, I mean these are, I they're they're in college. Like it's we're we're like you know a little bit older, so like we're probably like oh yeah, like here comes like a nice you know <laughs> three minute sophisticated speech like thanking everyone like in the universe. But really these college kids are like all right, I just want to get out of here. Um, I don't blame them at all. Yeah, you expect kind of like a tight five comedy routine. I will say like I think that this group. Like maybe they give off the demeanor of being a little bit stoic and, and maybe standoffish. Jordan Wara is the biggest example. I think that we've kind of slept on just how likable a, a group they are behind the scenes. And I mean, you know this, uh, like a lot of times the guys that you see on TV that you expect to really like, sometimes in, in real life, they're, they're, they're not the best people. They're not the most fun to be around. And sometimes the opposite's true. Perfect example, Edgar Sosa. Like he drove Louisville fans crazy for four years. Seemed like he was just you know, overly cocky, thought too highly of his skills. He's the he was the nicest person on that 2010 team, like without question. Like players who you may have loved watching them play more than Sosa were uh, there were some dicks on that team. There's there's yeah, no way around it. Yeah, I was gonna it. say I was I was like I I can think of a perfect opposite opposite example of him yeah. on that same team that everyone loved, but in real life, probably not the nicest guy. No, there were a few during that era who I was like, man, like love. And then you like, oh, spend a little time. You're like, yeah, eh, not so much. Sosa was the (laughs) nicest person in the entire world. And a perfect example of this, and I hope he doesn't mind me sharing this, but voice of the cards, friend of the pod, uh, fan of the pod, Sean Moth. He he was, uh, I was tweeting, texting with him after the game. And he was saying, after the game, Jordan Wara went the length of the scores table and shook hands and thanked every single person there. And he said he's been doing this for 26 years. And he said the only other person who did that after their senior day was Asia Durr uh, on her senior day. Like, that's pretty cool. Like, like that's I know that Jordan gets a lot of shit from people just because of, you know, sometimes his demeanor. But I think in real life, he's a he's a pretty likable kid who this means more to him than he probably lets on. I thought that was a cool story. Here comes the old man in me. That's just okay. good. parent. That's just good parenting. right? There. <laughs> that's just great parenting. For have your if your kid knows to do that, I mean, I, shout out to his his folks for teaching him to do things the right way. Um, we talked about real quickly his... how old you've gotten in the last like two months. I feel like, <laughs> yeah, like, I know, I, got I, it. You've been saying so many old man things the last few months, and I think it's just because you have the, the third kid on the way. I think ever since that happened, you just like checked out. Yeah, I know. I'm gonna be like drinking like brandy like before I go to bed now, but. Um, no, let's go, let's go back. Uh, you gave a shout out to Sean Moth. Have you noticed, and I love Sean, like the best to do it in my mind in, in college basketball, if not like most PA announcers. Plus we know that he does a bang up job doing U of L baseball and all the other stuff. But, um, 
when Sam Williamson dunks, do you notice that he always says Slamulson when he dunks it? Have you noticed that? Yeah, I think he says. I I thought he just always said Slamuel Williamson. Yeah, does he say? Yeah, is that gonna stick? I think so. I okay. like it. I don't hate it. So his, this is like so weird. I used to love when he pronounced Terrence Williams' name. It was like my favorite names he pronounced. He he always started like Williams, yeah. like and just like real and like I I was I I kind of miss it for Sam when he does the Slamuelson. So. I don't want to knock him if that's his thing. Oh, you know, I got you. Go with it. But, um, yeah, hey, I'm just happy that Sam's dunking the ball. I like the Terrence Williams call back in the day. I thought uh, last year, even though it didn't happen all that often, the 3-4 call was really good. Like, oh, yeah, I thought that, that was, was nice. I, yeah. I enjoyed that a lot. Um, yeah, Sean's awesome. He's, he's the absolute best and just a, a super, super awesome guy. Uh, big Avalanche fan. Go Avs. Um, we... Do you have any parting thoughts here on this Virginia Tech game before we move on? Um, I wish we played a little better. I know the second half and the way it ended, um, a 16-point victory, and then we had the shot at the end. might amassed that it wasn't, like, the most well-played game. I mean, it wasn't terrible. It's just going to be, like, besides the shot at the end, it was a pretty forgettable game, to be honest. Yeah, I thought we there was a stretch in the second half where I thought we played pretty well. I think the defense stands out. I think you can talk about that. But Virginia Tech is they're reeling right now. I think they've lost nine out of ten after this game on Sunday and just not a whole lot of answers. That promising start, I think, was a little bit of fool's gold. But still, like I still find it hard to find serious fault. I thought we played a good game, not a great game. Like I oh I, I do we, I want to shout out uh, Dave. He did the. Uh, the D Wade step over, like bring yeah. the ball over to the fender move. God, I absolutely love when he does. It. Anytime you're on a fast break, I'm like, here it comes. I can feel it. Yeah, that that was awesome. And he, I think you're right too. And and kind of quietly, it was pretty big for him to have a bounce back game after the way he played against Florida State, which was maybe the worst game of the season. You definitely don't want a freshman point guard having his confidence hurt at this point in the season. And I think for him to to play and have that stat line: six assists, one turnover, uh, eight points had a, I think four rebounds like that's it was a good bounce back for him I think he's going to be back in the form that we expect starting on Saturday against Virginia I said we weren't going to look too far ahead but I did want to t- talk really quickly about the ACC tournament which is coming up because the field is starting to take shape if you didn't see the news I guess it was uh, Monday Georgia Tech in one of the most just transparent moves of all time drops its uh, NCAA appeal it was pretty obvious that Whenever the NCA ruled on what they had, uh, what, what Georgia Tech was appealing, the punishment was going to stand. And I think the longer that the NCA took to rule on this, Georgia Tech kind of looked around. They were like, "Oh shit! Like we're going to have to play in the postseason this year and get banned next year when we're going to be a lot better if we don't do something." So they kind of, they basically threw their arms up and said, "Never mind. Like, like we're good. We're cool. We were pissed off before. Let's be good. Please don't ban us from the 2020 postseason because we're going to be a lot better next year." So they're not going to play in the ACC tournament next week. I want to. This question came in on Twitter, and we'll answer some of the other questions here in a second. But somebody asked, "What's the most dangerous quarterfinal opponent for Louisville? Not who would you rather play in the semis, or who would you rather play in the championship game? But who do you not want to see that first game on Thursday?" And we'll throw the first, the Tuesday four teams out because it looks like it's going to be Miami, your boy Danny Manning, who finally went down tonight against North Carolina. The winning streak's over. Um, Pitt and North Carolina. They're playing Tuesday. Let's assume that none of those teams are going to make it to the quarterfinals. Out of this group of teams, who do you want to see the least? NC State, Boston College, Syracuse, Virginia Tech, 
Clemson, or Notre Dame? Are we just going to dismiss Carolina? I mean, that's uh, they when when uh, when they're fully healthy, they do scare me a little bit. So I don't want to fully dismiss okay. them. But I, I, they're I, included I, then. Okay, I mean, they're a team I I, I would worry about playing. Um, God, out of those teams, geez. I really, oh God, I don't want to see Notre Dame again for some reason. I don't know. I like, I feel like Notre Dame should have actually beat us. Um, you know, when we were at the Joy Center, I know we 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 played well down the stretch and Dwayne hit a big shot, but um, you know they got some shot makers on their team. Uh, I would say probably Notre Dame, and then second would be NC State. Um, just because we've seen when they're at their best what they're capable of, but I don't know. I mean, I, I we should beat all of them, but if I had to pick three, it would be Carolina, Notre Dame, and NC State. Probably Notre Dame, the team I would least want to play. Okay, that's that's fair. I had Clemson actually as the team I least want to see, just because. I mean, first of all, we saw it firsthand a few weeks ago. They just beat the absolute dog shit out of us from start to finish. Their guards are really good. Um, Amir Sims is really good when he's playing well. They have like they seem to like I can see them losing their first game against a terrible team like Virginia Tech or, or whoever they would play, and then if but if they made it past that game, I would be terrified to play them in the quarters. They play up to their level of competition, and they just I mean they've beaten the best every one of the best teams in this conference so far this year. So that's they definitely scare me. My second would be NC State just because they're desperate. Like they're the one team I think that's going to be firmly still on the bubble in this tournament. Everybody else is either out or. I think safely in at this point. And then I had Notre Dame third. I think that they're a good team too. I, I probably would put Carolina fourth. I'm, I'm with you there. Virginia Tech's the one team that I'm like, please, please let us play. Yeah, again. no, I've I, got no, no, no fear whatsoever in the Hokies. Yeah, Virginia Tech, and if like somehow, yeah, like we've got Miami, which will never happen. Um, like the, I would be very excited with either of those teams, but um, yeah, I mean, the thing about Clemson. After coming off that loss, I feel like, not that our guys would need to be extra motivated, but I feel like there might be a little extra motivation going into that game coming off that loss. I, I It kind of scares me to play teams that we beat, especially handily, like Carolina and NC State. Not that the guys would, you know, go in, you know, thinking they're going to walk, this is going to be a walk in the park, but it's just human nature to maybe let down a little bit against a team that you beat by 16 or 18 points pretty handily. By the way, if North Carolina beats Duke on Saturday, every hat college basketball person is going to have the worst takes imaginable. Like they're going to be like this team, I'll tell you what, like they're 13 and 17 or whatever the record is, but you've got to at least consider them like completely just avoiding the fact that they were pretty shitty before Cole Anthony got hurt too. Like that's, like their resume wasn't exactly sparkling before he went down. They have the win over Oregon and quite literally nothing else impressive. Like, don't get me wrong, they're a little bit scary. They've played well the last few weeks, and it is crazy that they're they're six and thirteen in the conference. They've lost thirteen games in the league, and their plus minus differential in ACC play is still only like minus two. I think I saw that was the stat. Like that's nuts. Like, like that's uh, yeah. an insane stat. But if they did beat Duke on Saturday, I can't wait for somebody to be like. Are they on the bubble at 14 and 17? No, they're not on the bubble. But it's going to be fun watching zombie UNC play uh, in, in Greensboro. I think that'll be a, a cool storyline. By the way, uh, as we record this, Kentucky's about to lose. Just, uh, Are they? Wow. 
Uh, they're down uh, down nine here with 15 seconds left. So you hate to see that. Just, just yeah, just, yeah, I hate to see that for sure. I'm only bringing it up because this is a Louisville podcast, and we like to talk about the teams that we're competing on the, on the you know, two, three, four seed line with. So no other reason to bring that up other than maybe it helps us out a little bit. Maryland lost tonight, too. Got hammered by Rutgers. So that's, that's the only reason we're talking about this. So whatever. Yeah, Rick Barnes. Shout out. Yeah, great coach. Crazy. Um, let's answer some questions. You good with that? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, Corey Mattingly asked, um, <laughs> I like this, kind of late asking this, but with local hero at Keith Otto hitting his three, it got me wondering to you and Dan, what are the most significant walk-on moments at UofL? What are your top three uh, is the question here. So does Keith Otto crack the top three of most significant walk-ons during our lifetime uh, or significant walk-on moments during our lifetime as Louisville fans? Okay. Yeah. Um, There's an obvious number one. Yeah, Hendo's number one easily. I no mean, question. we know that Wichita. Um, how about was was Dylan Avar a walk on? Yes. Yeah, he the, he hit the technical free throws in the Elite Eight game against, against Michigan uh, State too. Against yeah. Michigan State, that was they significant. Were, I, I think um, that, because they got to pick who got to shoot those because it wasn't it wasn't technical free throws. It was. Somebody got fouled and got hurt and had oh, to come yeah, out of that's the game. Okay. Yeah, I, I, and he I came in and right. he hit him. And then Patino like left him in the game, and I was like, okay, <laughs> like what, what, what are we doing here? Rick would just make the weirdest decisions. It like somehow worked out all the time. It was just wild. Um, but yeah, uh, and then third, God, I mean, I do remember. Um, I don't even know how. I mean, Brad Giannini like hit one of the free throws yes. before the Darius Washington, you know, missed the free throw, collapse of the foul line. That's that's what I can think of. That's what I was going to say. Like, I, I was going to say, number one walk-on moment, Tim Henderson, Final Four, no question about it. Number two walk-on moment, I think it's the Keith Otto shot from uh, from Sunday. And then number three, I was going to say Brad Giannini missing the free throw to set up the perfect moment with uh with the Darius Washington moment missing those two because if he makes both then it's a little bit of a different scenario it doesn't hurt him quite as badly but he missed both and so that all right well here's here's a scenario wasn't Couric considered a walk-on at some point like he like was paying his own way and not on scholarship or am I making that up he I think it was his junior year when we had a scholarship problem and he agreed to go like off scholarship because his family was was well off or whatever yeah but then I, I think like the, I think the roster shakeout ended up working out in a weird way, so he got put back on scholarship before the end. Okay, of the I think gotcha. that's right. All right, it's, cool. it's kind of a funny thing. Like everybody just talks about if there's like a, a small white kid that didn't play a whole lot at the beginning of his career, everybody just assumes he was a walk on. I can't tell you how many times I saw like Ryan McMahon, what a wild story, comes here as a walk on, leaving with this type of performance. I'm like, no, he came here on scholarship. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the the Kyle Kirk thing was funny because. It did get reported, like in the Courier Journal and a number of different outlets, that he like originally was going to be a walk-on at Louisville and then got put on scholarship before his freshman year. So I had written that a couple of times, and then his dad emailed me like right before the 2011 Big East tournament game against Notre Dame was like, just so you know, he was never a walk-on. Like I was in the living room with Rick Pitino when he offered a scholarship. I was like, okay, I'm sorry, I, didn't, I wasn't trying to it wasn't delete, like a, delete, delete. Yeah, no, I was like. It wasn't like a, I wasn't like putting him down or anything, but yeah, I don't know. Um, somebody asks, uh, James Solomon says, what stage are we in of the uh, Kentucky, watching Kentucky as a Louisville fan stages? I did say stage seven where like we admit that they're good 
and we're just rooting for them to lose in March, but they just lost to Tennessee by eight. That's uh, official. Again, we're only bringing it up because we're competing with them for seeding. We're not bringing it up because it's funny to laugh and say, you guys have been talking so much shit about how nobody has you on the three line, nobody has you on the two line, and you're so good and you're the best team in the country, and you just got beat at home by a team that's not going to go to the NCAA tournament. Like That's not why we're talking about this. We're just talking about it because it affects us. So I, I think we're still probably in stage seven, but, you know, they didn't play that well tonight. So I'm um, actually, like, I watched the first half, um, or the, part of the first half when they were up, like, 22-11. And I must, I must texted you, like, oh, great. UK's rounding to form. Maxie's playing well. Quickly he's turning into a superstar, blah, blah, But, yeah, this certainly changes things for sure. So I, I have no idea what happened in the second half because I didn't get to watch it. But uh, I, I do not hate the outcome. I don't either. Um, somebody wants – there were a bunch of people. I'm shocked at how much this caught on, your affinity for Danny Manning. Like every time Wake Forest did anything the last couple of weeks, I got drilled with people who were like, got to hear Dan's thoughts on this, got to hear Dan's thoughts on this. Do you think them beating Duke and then beating whoever they beat over the weekend, is there any shot that Danny Manning has saved his job? You are the Danny Manning expert. Take it away. Oh, man. He's probably going to have to at least get out of Tuesday at the ACC tournament to have any shot. Um, I would say probably would have to get out of Wednesday as well, but I'm going to go with, he is 90% fired as of right now. He's gotta be like, yeah. I'm sorry. Like the, he and Christian are, are absolutely gone. Um, no doubt in my mind, although the whole, like the big podcast scenario that I laid out a few weeks ago of uh, Shaka smart getting fired, John Beeline going to Texas and Shaka going to wake forest. Looking a little bit dicey right now. Uh, yeah. Texas is playing pretty well, kind of out of nowhere. Let's see here. Yeah. Um, Zorba Garp says, will next year's roster include Malik, or will he go pro, potentially playing in the G League? I think Malik's going to stick around. Like I, I think that, especially with this season being, like he missed some time multiple times now because of injuries. He established himself as a leader in the offseason. I feel like he never, like, regardless of how it, this winds out for him, how this last month goes, I feel like he's going to go into the spring feeling like he never got to show his full self this year. And I think that's going to make him want to come back and be like a senior superstar next year. Uh, I feel like he's definitely going to come back. I'll, I'll tell you this. If he did leave, I would flat out panic because yeah. I think he is a cornerstone of next year's team, um, especially from a leadership standpoint. So if he did go to the G League, I would I would be I mean, obviously happy for him, but I would be a little bit devastated on how our roster was going to turn out. So, yeah, I mean, I don't see it happening, but, you know, we'll uh, I guess we'll have to see. But I, I see him staying. Um, Jonathan Lustig says, if this team doesn't make a deep run in March, what will the senior class be remembered as? I think I feel like the the memory and I, I hate that we keep I, I, I say we I keep drawing these parallels back to the, the early years under Rick Pitino. But I feel like the senior class will be kind of remembered in that same vein, um, like Reese Gaines was remembered. That team got upset in the second round. They overachieved in year one, almost made the tournament, <clears throat> definitely overachieved in year two. I feel like they're going to be remembered for speeding the process up for, for the first years of Chris Mack being more successful than we thought they were going to be when all the shit hit the fan in September of 2017. Like, I think we'll remember that, but at the same time, we, they won't be as revered as a team that made a deep run to a final four or looked like they were supposed to. That's kind of the way that I feel about it. What, what do you say? Yeah. And this is a harsh answer, but I mean, if you don't make a run in the tournament, 
you really, I mean, we know who those guys are on those teams, but like you said, they're not really revered in the same sense as, as teams that made a run to, you know, at least a sweet 16 or elite eight, if not a final four. So for that sense, you're, you're pulling for these seniors uh, even more because you want them to be remembered, but you know, whether it's their fault or not, due to the circumstances, there just hasn't been any success in the NCAA tournament with with these guys. Um, so you hope they get a taste of that. But uh, I, I I do, uh, yeah, just with a harsh answer, I don't think they would be remembered as fondly as some of the other classes, obviously. I think that's fair. Uh, I think you're probably right. Um, Duncan Cardinal says, rank these season goals in order of importance. National title, beating Kentucky, ACC tournament champions, ACC regular season champions. I, well, I think that both of us are going to say national title is the obvious number one. There's no yeah. question about that. How do you put the? How do you rank the last three? Four, I would say, is God. This one, that's actually tricky. The ACC regular season title <laughs> just doesn't have a lot of sizzle for me. Um, I would probably rank that number four. Oh, God, I mean, it's just we've just struggled so much against UK that I think by the by the sole fact that it never happens, if it did happen, I would probably rank that number two and then the ACC tournament uh, championship number three. Okay, um, I've UK to me is is fourth, whatever. Um. I, like it's it's important, but I would put the other two. I put the the championships ahead of of beating Kentucky. And I know that sounds like oh you're not doing the rivalry thing. Like it's it's a big deal. I don't, I'm not trying to say that at all. I just think the other two things are a little bit more important. And look, I've been consistent on this podcast. I've never wavered that winning the ACC regular season title is a gigantic deal. It's the most important thing. It's all that I'm thinking about. It's all that I'm focused on. Unless we lose to Virginia on Saturday, in which case it doesn't matter at all. And it's definitely number four. But I still would put, if we're talking seriously, I'd have conference tournament probably at two for me, and then regular season at three, beating Kentucky at four. That, that's just- See, my, my whole thing is, like, with the Kentucky game, like, well, let's take the 98 team. They were awful. I mean, they had a losing record. I think they were, like, 12 and 20 or something. But we remember those guys because they went into Rupp and they beat Kentucky, who went on to win the national championship. So Yeah, but that team was, like, 12 and 20. If We, we would remember them if they won a conference championship, too. I, yeah, I guess that's true. I don't know. I, like, when I look back at teams, I do – and fair or not, I mean, that's just the way the rivalry is for me, at least. I, I look back and, and – kind of see how much the success they had against UK in their time. And, you know, I do remember the, you know, the T wills and the, um, the Francisco's cause I know that they had success against UK and, um, I kind of hold them at a, a high standard because of that. Well, Francisco also blew a 15 point lead in Patrick Sparks game. So there was that. Yeah. Well, but yeah. He, he also went into rep and played well. So he did. He did. Uh, Craig Hensley says, this is a, a question near and dear to both of our hearts. Maybe even more you than me. What do you think of the Reds off season moves? Are we making the postseason oh, this year or what? What a question. Oh my God. <laughs> it's like, well, uh, I'm all in. I don't know what else to say. I, we've, me and you have been waiting for this for, I mean, and for people who don't know, like, obviously, 
me and you love Louisville sports, you know, just about as much as anything. We also love the Reds a great deal. I mean, we we buy into every season and we we watch pretty much every game as sad as it is. We watch every single Reds game just about and um, comment on it. But, yeah, I mean, I love the Moustakis signing. Um, I think Cassianos is going to be an absolute beast. I love our pitching staff. I do wish we got some bullpen help. Um, I I know in spring training, RICL's already struggling a little bit, um, but we're we're too deep in a lot of positions, which is good. Uh, I think it's at least a wild card, I would say, and that's like being on the low side. I think we're capable of winning the division. We have uh, you. Uh, we will put it out there. We have a five hundred dollar bet on the Reds to win the World Series. This, this is year, true. Which. I'm just not, as I say it out loud, it always sounds worse when you say it out loud. And I'm also realizing that my wife's probably listening to this, and I don't think I know. My wife has no idea that I've made this bet, so uh, she usually, yeah, she usually fast forwards to doing the dumps, anyways. (laughs) It's happening though, so you know what? They they can be mad for now, and we'll celebrate with the winnings. We'll go to Napa with our winnings next year, and it's gonna be great. 100 percent. Yeah, it's gonna be fantastic. Um, All right, last question here, and then we'll do Dan and the dumps. I like this question too. Uh, Ryan Raylan Manny says, what is your preferred day and start time for Louisville's first NCAA tournament game? Oh, what a question. Oh, my God. Last year was miserable. I mean, like, honestly, it could not have been worse. The fact that we lost at noon on a Thursday. Um, preferred time. God, I want the oh, man. Friday games are nice because you can get kind of juiced up um, throughout the day. When I say juiced up, I mean liquored up. Um, I would say maybe Friday night at 7. Not the late Friday. That was the, the first California session. disaster. But like Friday at 7. I feel like we always play the very first session on Thursday or the very last session on Friday. And I know there have been a couple of times where we haven't, but there have been a, a – like when we beat – uh, Davidson in 2012. I know that was early on Thursday. Yeah. Um, and then Austin P. The Final Four run, like that that game that was not Austin. Yeah, Austin P. In 03 was late on Friday. So was the Louisiana Lafayette game in the 05 uh, run that was so close. I feel like it's always one of those two. And look, if you play the early game on Thursday, it's the best thing in the world if you win because you get yeah. to sit around for the next two days and just watch basketball and watch the madness unfold and know that you've still got more games to play. It's fucking awesome. But I feel like the risk doesn't outweigh the reward here because when you lose like last year, it's the worst thing in the absolute world. Oh, it, it I, the, the ride worst. home from work, I was having thoughts that I wouldn't say out loud on this podcast. Because we had that Morehead State was also really early on Thursday. Um, and I mean, that was just I mean, I just talk about wanting to just off myself like that was that was terrible. I like, mean, let's talk really, about Morehead State. Me and you went to Las Vegas that, no, that was year. that was Cal. All right. No, we. Oh, yeah. I went to Moorhead for Vegas uh, as well. I went Cal and Moorhead State year. And I got, I checked into the hotel with five minutes left in the game. So I got there on a Thursday and had to live in doom and gloom. Um, and you should have seen the place just absolutely explode when uh, the Moorhead guy hit the three. And I had to just absolutely wear it from all angles for three straight days. But um, that was brutal. I'll probably go. And this is mainly because, I mean, I'm kind of a night owl. Like I stay up really, really late. 
this is probably not the preferred for everybody else. I like the late game on Friday. Just I, I, Thursday, you get to chill. You have the whole day to relax, watch everything. At least you get that day. You know, even if your team loses, you're going to get that day to feel good and enjoy the tournament. And then early Friday, you're kind of nervous because you, you're still playing, but there's still a little bit of relaxation. And then, I don't know, may, I, I'm, I'm changing it up. I'm actually going to give you the same answer as you. We're going to be boring here. I'll say the first session on Friday. I think that's the perf- I think that's the best. The only thing that I don't like is the Sunday start times are always weird. Like there's that weird, like Saturday and Sunday, you have the standalone game at noon. And then on Sunday, they have like five games that come all at the same time. Yeah. And like one late game. It's just, it's a weird schedule. Saturday's a li- at least a little bit more spread out. So I don't know. You, you can't go I, wrong. I like what. being like in the madness. I don't like being like, like you said, the Sunday where they have like the two games and then like, uh, yeah. kind of a break like I don't want to be like one of the focuses I, I like just being like in the madness with all the other teams kind of blending in we were what was it I think it was 2015 when we played the super late game on what was it Thursday. Sunday oh, no, no, the, I know you're right yeah the Northern Iowa game the second round when it was like 1 30 a.m and everybody like you know because back in the day we used to always get together and we would we would drink and we would have fun and that time, it was like, everybody's getting a little bit older. Everybody had jobs that, that they had to go to that Monday. And everybody was like, okay. Like, nobody drank during the game. We all were wearing, like, pajama pants. Like, it was <laughs> it was like, all right, that was awesome. Now let's just all go back to sleep. It was, yeah. like, that was a little bit tough. I but. Like, it just the, like, I'm getting these butterflies in my stomach just thinking, like. Oh, I know. Sitting, sitting through, like, a March Madness game. Like the after like the first time out, I like I feel like I'm like my body just like it's like shutting down because I haven't breathed and I'm like so tense for like ten minutes. I'm like, all right, it's only seven five. We got a long way to go here. I could not agree more. Like I, I thought, um, who was it? Matt Norlander the other day like tweeted out. So the question was like, what's a what's a line that makes the hair on your arm stand up? And he he did the whole like, we go out west. Thursday, Saturday tip-offs, like, in the West region, number one seed. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, just I, just now, as I said it, I got goosebumps just thinking about it. Like, you just – even when you don't know the teams are coming, even when you don't know where you're going to be, just that whole thing is, is – The worst is when your team doesn't score the first basket at the game. You're like, oh, fuck, it's over. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, we're going to lose. We're going we're gonna to lose. Complete overreaction. They're hitting, they're hitting everything. I knew this shit was going <laughs> to yeah. happen. Like, last year, that was – last year, that was me, except I was totally – I last year was terrible. Like – I'd been running around because I had to do all the other work for the other job. Uh, my wife was working from home, so she was running around too. Like I felt just completely rushed by the time the tip-off stat, and they started off hitting everything. I'm like, we're fine, we're fine, and then it was just never fine. They just never stopped hitting. It was the like last year was terrible. There's no other way around it. It was the absolute. Yeah, we we don't want that this year. All right. Anyways, great questions, guys. We'll, we'll get to some more in the next pod, but we're gonna end this podcast the way that we like to end podcast with when Dan's on. Dan of the dump story. He is dumpster Dan. Bad stuff happens to him. What's our Dan of the dump story here for this episode? All right. So I hope this actually comes through on the on the pod. But so I took my son um, sledding this weekend. Um, we drove about an hour north of Columbus to Mansfield, Ohio, at 9 a.m. on a Saturday morning to a, a little ski resort called Snow Trails. So shout out to me being a great dad. But anyways. Um, <laughs> The hill, you what you did was you got a tube, um, like every person got a tube, and then you ride this little conveyor belt. Like it goes really slow. You kind of ride it up, and you just stand on it, and it takes you up to the top of the hill, and you you know you go down. And it's actually it was a really legit hill, but 
anyways, let's get back to the conveyor belt. Um, so we got there at nine and there wasn't a whole lot of people there. And there's a sign that says like, don't walk up the conveyor belt. Like, cause it's, it's inclining like slightly like going uphill. Um, and of course, like my five-year-old son, like wanted to walk on it. And I was like, all right, you gotta be careful, buddy, blah, blah, blah. So then it started to get a little bit more crowded. And I was like, Hey, we can't walk on this. We just got to hold still. There's like, you know, 50 other people on this thing. So we're standing on this conveyor belt going up. And then like all of a sudden he decides to do like this little twirl and just completely falls over and knocks me over with my tube. And then I fall backwards and knock the guy behind me over in like a domino (laughs) effect. And like, there's like three of us, my son, me and him laying on this thing as it's like going upwards. And I'm like, okay, like you could hear the guy like getting up. He's like, okay, okay, just don't move. And I was like, all right, like stay calm here. And like my son, I hear him, he's like, help, like not like panicky help. Like he just couldn't get up. So I just made the immediate decision to hop off this thing and like run in the snow alongside of it. This is going up. So like cam my son is like trying to get up the the man had already stood up and i'm running alongside of it and then i'm like all right i'm just gonna hop back on so i throw my tube onto the conveyor belt and like basically jump on and then i ended up like laying on top of my son like literally (laughs) i'm like rolled on top of him with my tubes like daddy help and i'm like i'm trying so we're like literally like there's all these people staring at us i was like all right like we got up like as soon as we got to the top and walked up i was like wow i was like thing moves a little faster than i thought like just it was so embarrassing but i was like son let's go to the end of the line and get the hell down the hill here God, that's fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was brutal. So if you would have seen it, you would have laughed 20 times harder. But um, it was, uh, yeah, just another day in the life, I guess. God, this is March. Here we are. Yeah. The epitome of brutality. Um, we like to end every podcast, not just with a day of the dump story, but we like to encourage you guys to go subscribe to the pod wherever you listen to podcasts if you haven't already and give us a rating and a review. And to encourage you to do so, we like to try to read at least one review at the end of every show. Um, Alex Pot 68 had this to say. He said, Rutherford and Danny are the perfect representation of the Louisville Cardinal fan base, respectable and realistic. A nice perspective on Louisville basketball and other UofL athletics. I never really listened to Rutherford when he was on iHeartRadio, and I just <laughs> followed him on Twitter. But since the podcast started, I have listened to all of them, and I really enjoy it. And he ends it with a quote. It just says, go car, dumpster Dan, cut off. God, yeah. We need some go-car shirts. Just go-car. Go-car. We've done it really well the last two times, so I feel pretty good. I did like seeing somebody, like the Big Red Louie guys had a question out there saying, Louisville will win the national title or go deep in March if blank happens. And like three or four people were like, Rutherford keeps cutting off the Danny Go-Cards. I was like, (laughs) that's what we're trying for. That's what we're going for. So uh, appreciate you guys tuning back in. Apologies for the the delay on getting this podcast out there. We'll have a couple more this week before we get to the Virginia game on Saturday, which I know we're incredibly pumped for. They, I, I feel like the, the hype for that game is only going to mount in these next couple of days. So very excited for that. Until we talk to you guys next time, go Cards. Go Cards.